Greetings this morning. I think that song was an excellent response to the Sunday school lesson this morning. And I noticed that song was written in the 1700s. Well, at least, I don't know for sure, but late 1700s, I think so. But since God doesn't change, that truth is the same today. And that truth will be the same a hundred years from now. God's grace is partnering grace. It's amazing grace. Now we have to be careful. We were at another church last Sunday and we heard about grace there too. And I didn't talk to the pastor and maybe he would have explained it better. But basically grace is forgiveness. That was the whole, seemed like that was, you could, it was their cinnamons. Grace and forgiveness of sin is the same. And grace, forgiveness of sin is an element of grace. It really, really, really is an element of grace. But grace is much, much, much larger than that. And so we must remember that when we talk about God's grace, we're talking about all his kind acts towards us, and we're talking about the work he does in our own hearts. That is the grace of God as well. And that we are actually able to respond in love and obedience is the grace of God. Nothing else can explain that. Let's just, if you could, let's... Stand again if you can, and let's just have a word of prayer before we move ahead. Lord, we are grateful to you for your amazing grace, your loving kindness, your mercy. Lord, you have told us that it is not your will that any should perish, and that that is a a revelation of your heart. It's a revelation of your heart to each one of us this morning, that we do not need to doubt your love for any of us. Regardless of where we are or what we have done, we do not need to doubt your love for us. We also, Lord, of course, recognize your justice and your judgment. But, Lord, it is because we would bring it on ourselves if, if, if we bring your judgment on us because you have extended so much to us. So we thank you. We pray, Lord, you would give us Give me, Lord, direction this morning as I speak your word, as we look into your heart and try to understand what your will and purpose is for us. Pray for each one of us here that we would have a listening ear and a listening heart to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't think I need it. <laughs> okay, last message that I had three weeks ago, I believe, it was a message that we looked at a Bible character, Achan, and how he had lost everything because of his sin. And I had shared five points of what we can learn from that true event. 
And then we spend a little bit of time contrasting Achan with Rahab. They were direct contemporaries. They lived at the same time, and they were in the same area, and they were involved in the same battle. So they were contemporaries. But the contrast between the two, as we saw, was huge. On the surface, Rahab seemed to be all wrong. She was from the wrong lineage. She lived in the wrong city among the wrong people doing the wrong things. That was Rahab. She was living in a city that was to be devoted to destruction. Achan, on the other hand, was had everything, all the proper external marks. He was among the people of God. He was among the, the undergodly leadership and and he had the promises of God, he had everything going for him. But in the end, the roles are reversed. Rahab and all her family were given life, and Achan and all his family were destroyed. And despite the fact that by birth, Rahab is a Canaanite, she in fact looks much more like an Israelite. And despite the fact that Achan was an Israelite by birth, he looked much more like a Canaanite. And then I did some thinking. What were the processes in Achan's life that led to his colossal failure? And the question could extend beyond that. What for events in my life could lead me to a colossal failure? Or you? Three weeks ago, last evening, we had a storm go through our property. And there's a number of trees that were blown over. And right at the edge of our property, that the tree was on the neighbor's property, there was a, a nice walnut tree that blew down. And so it was on our property, the neighbor said, you can saw it up, you can have the wood. And uh, this was a beautiful walnut tree. Uh, there was one place where, as it, as it, a, uh, part, as it, as it fell over, part of a sliver of bark with some of the wood came off. And you turned it over, and that grain of wood, that walnut wood, beautiful grain, beautiful wood, it wasn't polished it wasn't sanded it wasn't you know smooth but it was just a beautiful grain of wood and it was nice and as i saw this trunk of this tree it was uh, probably 16 18 inches thick there and it was a solid tree until i came toward the bottom and then all of my chainsaw started going through faster and toward the bottom of this tree, there was a hollow inside that tree that was big enough for a family of coons. I was going to say a bear, but I don't think so. It's not quite that big, but for a family of coons. And that is actually right in that area where it was hollow, exactly where it snapped off. That was why that tree blew over. Now, it wasn't obvious that it was a defective tree. In fact, it was a green tree. It was a growing tree. It had green leaves. It had nice bark. 
It even produced walnuts. But inside, it wasn't sound. And it wasn't obvious that it wasn't sound. Likely, that unsoundness was growing. But it wasn't until an extraordinary event, like a storm, that it exposed that unsoundness. And then I thought of myself, and I thought of all of us here. (laughs) Am I sound way down to the core of my being? Or am I a sitting walnut tree waiting to be exposed by some extraordinary event? I would say that Achan, that this, he was faced with an extraordinary, I mean, like I mentioned last Sunday, they were minimalist, okay? They lived in tents. They had not much stuff. And all of a sudden, in a rich city, this was all exposed. So it was, he had an extraordinary event that exposed the unsoundness of his heart. Sometimes I am viewed as majoring on structure and practice on it and on externals. Sometimes I'm viewed that way and I don't claim to have all that in proper order. But I am in no way desiring as we look at those practical things of life, to ever neglect the heart. The true relationship, our true relationship with God. So we will focus on one verse this morning. And you can turn to it in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Very familiar verse, and maybe some of you have memorized it. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The context is a father instructing his children. If you go to the the first verse of chapter 4, we have, Hear ye children, the instruction of a father. And attend to no understanding. So, this verse and this message could say it's especially for young people. Keep your heart. But if we older ones are going to instruct the younger ones, both by word and example, we need it as well, don't we? Also in verse, in chapter 3, in verse 1, we have, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Now you just think of the lesson we had this morning. That is actually what God wanted, did he not? Let your heart keep my commandments in a proper order. And there is no other order that's proper. But we see a focus on the heart. Well, what is the heart? Well, the heart is the center of anything. I thought of various things. You have the heart of celery. It's what's in the middle. It's what where new things grow out of. It's 
the older stems on the side, they're done growing, but in the heart keeps on coming. So you have a heart. And uh, that's how it's used. It's used. The heart is used very widely, but in general, what we're going to look at this morning, the heart is is your it's your inward thing which out of it flows what comes out of your life it's the spring it's the it's the seat in which things flow out of now right off we have a problem do we not we are to keep our heart but there is a problem with man's heart is it not we have a problem with the heart. Well, if you would know my heart, or you would want to keep my heart. <laughs> so I asked the question, how sound is my heart? Well, to see an aspect, I, I, and this, this is necessary because I'm talking, to, I'm talking to mostly believers this morning, but I just want to make sure we're clear on this. To see an aspect of the problem of man's heart and to understand the problem, we want to look at the first Two places where the word heart, this word heart is used in the scripture, and you can turn to it. Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to be Gary Rohrbach and always go to Genesis in every one of my messages, right? In verse 5 of chapter 6. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that's the problem with man's heart. It is an evil heart. And then the next verse actually has the same word, heart, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his his heart. God has a heart. You know, God made man in his image, and he made man with a heart, and God has a heart. It's the heart. It's, it's the center. So we have a problem with the heart after Adam and Eve sinned. Their hearts became defiled. But that's not the end. What is God's answer? It grieved him at his heart. And I'm just going to read Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 27. When he's talking about Israel and what he's going to do to them and talking about today. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to work in my statutes and you shall keep my judgment and do them. Today we call that the new birth. Nicodemus, when he came to Jesus... Jesus told him, you must be born again. That new birth is the giving of a new heart. And um, and so this message will be of nothing of significance to any of us unless we have that heart. So I'm talking about that heart as we're talking about keeping the heart. It's that new heart that comes from God that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we surrender, we repent of our sins, we surrender to God, we believe in the sacrifice on the cross, and we get a new heart. We are of a, have a spirit of God in us. That is where the message is assuming this morning. So, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So what can we learn from the word and the heart of God this morning? 
Well, I have two points, two major points here. One is keeping the heart, and the other is maintaining the heart. Because the heart has to be both guarded, and it has to be nurtured, has to be maintained. So we'll look at keeping the heart first here. Keep your heart. That's the title of the message, by the way. Keep your heart. Keeping your heart is a command. Can we see that this morning? Keep your heart. And it's not just a command. It is a responsibility. It is a duty. I could say it this way. I've written down here. It is your heart. It is, I'm sorry. It is your job to keep your heart. It is my job to keep my heart. And you might say, well, I see only two commandments in the Bible. Love God and love people. So then what does that have to do with my heart? If I love God, my heart will take care of itself. Well, that is idealism taken to irrational levels. It would be to say we're already in heaven and there is no enemy and there is no battleground. In fact, Jesus needed to keep his heart when he was here. Keeping means guarding your heart. It means preserving your heart. It also means watching your heart. And uh, the, the primitive root that that word comes from in the strong simply means to guard, to protect, and to maintain. And that's correct. Guard your heart, protect your heart, and maintain your heart. There are three English words that are predominantly used from the Hebrew which means to keep or preserve or to watch. And sometimes the word watchman is used actually of keeping. You know, when you think of a city, you will have watchmen. Well, what are the watchmen for? Their point is to keep and to guard that city. And that thought is there. There's another English word um, that, means to keep it and we're I'm gonna read the verse. It's it's after Adam was made and he was put in the garden and he was told to dress it and to keep it. Keeping it is to take care of it. It was his responsibility. Another place where uh this other word is used, not the exact same word but the one with a very similar meaning is when when um Cain After he killed Abel, God challenged him, and then he said to God, Am I my brother's keeper? Do I have a responsibility to my brother to protect him and preserve him? And that's what I thought this morning. When God challenges Me, or any of us, on the true condition of our heart, like he challenged uh, Cain, Cain gave that infamous response. 
Am I my brother's keeper? Are we going to give the infamous response, am I my heart's keeper? Is it my responsibility? And, of course, the answer is yes. Why guard your heart? Well, we tend to guard things that are valuable, don't we? (laughs) If I were to drive a new car, I'd probably lock it. But right now, I go and park it somewhere in a public spot, and I open the windows so it's not as hot when I get back. Nobody's going to steal my car, I think. Maybe somebody will. (laughs) But it's not a valuable. As cars go, it's not valuable. But if I would have a very expensive car, I would probably lock it. And so we guard our hearts because it is valuable. We need to guard it. It, It's our seat of affection. It's what our life comes out of. It's, It's actually us. And, well, let's just read these verses. Jesus knew it to be that way, and I'll just read a few verses in Mark chapter 7 and verses 20. 20 to 23, very familiar verses, and it's just clear. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So we are to watch over our hearts because it has such a complete life-resulting effects from it. Our hearts are who we are and we are valuable. Then I thought of another reason to guard our hearts. I said I leave the windows down in my car because it's not valuable. But, you know, I thought of it. If I would park, depending where I would park that car, and you can probably imagine some places you could park your car, I probably would lock it. In a high crime area, in a shady or questionable area, and I park my car and I'm going to let it there for a couple hours, I probably lock it. Why would I lock it? Because of the area it's in. And then the question is, well, what kind of area is our hearts in? Are we in a high crime area? Compare it to our hearts, that is. Are we? And we say, yes, we are in a high crime area. I think we had better guard our hearts. It's of much more importance The risk is much greater than even a car. It's okay if the car is hot when I get back. I'm going to secure it. So keep, guard your heart. An unkept heart, an unguarded heart, an unwatched heart will be stolen. And if your heart is stolen, it is damaged, if it's mangled, You will suffer enormous loss. 
So keep, guard your heart. And then just a word with all diligence. I'm just going to give a little bit of that. You know, it's guard your heart with all diligence. So simply ups the ante a little bit. I mean, do it with all your heart. But actually that word diligence actually means a prison or a ward. <laughs> it means to double guard. Um, just to give a picture of this. Uh, in Acts 16, verse 23 and 24, uh, Paul and Silas... They were not liked in Philippi, so they were beaten. And then, uh, here it says, And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, the jailer, when he had received such a charge, he thrust them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. He got an extraordinary charge. Keep these people. And so he put them in the inner prison and he fastened their feet. Now that is what I call keeping a heart with all diligence. That is making sure it's secure. Now in this case it didn't work. Because God is able to overcome. But the devil is not. So that's that's the thought that I have. Keep your heart with all diligence. Well, and, and this is where I'm going to speak to especially youth right now here. We're talking about guarding your heart, not allowing defilements or habits to develop. That will, uh, it can develop evil or wavered patterns. Your affections can go many different directions. If you don't guard your heart, you can get, uh, well, addictions. You can get uh, habits. And you can get lots of things that are not that that you will regret if you don't guard your heart. And we know that God is able to overcome that. We know that, but don't presume on the grace of God and not on guard, not guard your heart. Don't presume on that grace. In fact, there in Proverbs, a few verses before, in Proverbs four verses fourteen and fifteen. It says, enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. That's God's direction for us in our hearts. That's guarding the heart. And and an entire message could be given on that area of youth guarding your heart. But that's not my point this morning, not my purpose. My purpose and my thoughts this morning are more on that hollow tree. More on whether our hearts are sound and true and well kept. Is our hearts, are we honest? Are we sincere? Is our hearts well kept and well maintained? And that is the second point and the main part of the message. Examining and maintaining the heart. A hypocrite does not care about the condition of his heart. As long as it's a public view, as long as his leaves are green, as long as his bark looks good, his trunk is straight, and even giving walnuts, he doesn't care about his heart. 
because his life revolves around public opinion and applause and a place. And that's what Jesus addressed in Mark chapter 7 and verse 6. He said, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you, hypocrites, as it is written, His people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's the heart of a hypocrite. Not concerned about condition. They're, they're not concerned about their rotten hearts, their hollow hearts. And they're not guarding their hearts. They're not keeping them. So I'm going to talk about we need to first examine our hearts. But, you know, well, okay, how a bankrupt person does not like to go to his bank account and look things over. That's not what he enjoys doing because there's nothing there. It's it's probably depressing. And a bankrupt heart, a heart that is not, it's also something you don't really want to look at. We would rather live in denial than face the reality of a bankrupt heart. And yet, a person who's facing a bankrupt uh, situation is can only live in denial for so long. And it will catch up to him. He cannot continue. And a bankrupt heart, you can only live in it for so long, it will catch up to you. There will be a time where it cannot be hid. So for a hypocrite or a bankrupt person to realize that they are hollow inside, notwithstanding the outward show, do need to look at the heart and consider the state of affairs there. And as for all of us, keeping and maintaining our hearts is essential to walk with God and to please him in all of our lives. Someone who is wise in his finances will want to know if he's going backwards or forwards. So he will examine his situation because he wants to know. And that's for us. We need to examine our heart to see whether we're going forward or backwards. Even a musical instrument, when it's tuned, and it can be in perfect tune, needs to be retuned again. It needs to have constant regular maintenance. So we can start. If we think of keeping our heart and maintaining our heart, we need to start by examining our own heart. Commune with your own heart. A heart cannot be kept and maintained until we know of its own condition. Jesus gave the parable of the sower who went out to sow. And he made it very clear there were four types of heart. Now, you could probably increase the types of hearts, but he used four. Four types of heart. He had a hard heart. You had a stony heart, you had a weedy heart, and you had a good and honest heart. And now the question for us, when you examine your heart, what kind of heart do you have? Do you, you, we, we all have a heart. And we all have one of those hearts. Is your heart 
Do you know which one of those hearts your heart is? Is your heart a hard heart, a rocky, a weedy, or a good? How can you tell? How can you tell? Many people, many godly people have regularly examined their hearts. And of course, we have the word of God. We have the spirit of God. And we have all that. But what I'm, and, and, uh, I'm actually going to come at a little different angle. Everything that I say this morning could be, could be said in Romans chapter 8. That if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And you can, you can come at a message like this from that angle. But I'm going to come at it from a different angle so we have a, a broader perspective. What kind of heart do you have? Well, you could in the evening ask your heart. Try it this evening. Ask your heart. Every evening you can do this. Heart, where have you been today? Maybe you could say this way, you naughty heart, you vain heart, you proud and selfish heart, where have you been today? Now, maybe that's not your case, but you can ask that. Now, I'm not asking you how you have performed or behaved today. That's not what I'm asking. That too, yeah, that too. Because <laughs> that's in the revelation of the heart. But where has your heart been today? Have you relished evil thoughts about somebody today? Now, evil thoughts, when you think evil thoughts about somebody, the outworking of that is gossip and slander and other evil behavior. But the heart, the evil thought. But maybe you didn't say anything. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. But ask your heart, heart, where have you been today? Have you relished some prideful vanity about yourself? Puffing yourself up inside. Have you had envious or covetous thoughts? Or impure lustful thoughts? Or thoughts of self-pity? In other words, at the end of the day, heart, where have you been? You know, many times our days are mixed. I'm talking about general behavior of us. We have times where we, we have sweet communion with God. We are walking with God. We are interacting with him. We're actually doing acts of service and we have love. We're sacrificing unselfishly to meet the demands of or the responsibilities of our family or our ministry or whatever it is. But then we have also those other times where our hearts go wayward. So many times I would say probably our hearts are mixed. In a regular day. So to keep and to guard and to maintain our hearts. Now is the time to acknowledge our wavered heart. So you have examined your heart. Now is the time to repent. To sorrow over our imperfect and wavered heart. That has happened. Now, I know you can do this immediately during the daytime. And there's a different way to do it. I just give an example at the end of the day. And you look over your day and you have recognized my heart. You have been places that are not sound. 
and you grieve and you repent and you accept the forgiveness of God. And then you trust in his power to move forward. Like I said, the hypocrite does not care about the condition of his heart as long as he controls it enough so that it doesn't destroy his image. For someone who does not have a well-kept heart, the acknowledgement of his failures, if someone comes to him, the acknowledgement of his failures need to be squeezed out of him. But for a well-kept heart, it a failure will flow out, the repentance will flow out of a well-kept heart. His confessions... And his repentance, as he looks at his heart and he recognizes it, that that is an, that is an uh, illustration or an expression of a well-kept heart. When did you last mourn over the coldness of your heart? Or the unbelief, or the hardness, or the earthiness of your heart? When did you last mourn? Over the condition of your heart. How little time is spent in the closet. Humbling yourself and searching and quickening your heart. If our bodies would be nourished as well as our hearts are nourished. Would they be nearly dead too? You know the Christian life is a blessing. But did anyone ever think the Christian life was easy? If we would say, yes, the Christian life is easy, it's, you can, it, God comes in and, well, if the Christian life would be easy in, in that sense, we would say, well then, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to life, and many there be that come, but it's not, it's a, it's a narrow way. It's actually a difficult way. And this is one of the areas. It is difficult. Our heads grow, but our hearts wither. It is much easier to comply outwardly and do the duties that is expected of us than it is to keep our hearts clean and pure and vibrant. There is no applause for this kind of heart. There's applause for when you do good things, then people, yes, yeah, wow. And, and it, it, careful. That may come from your heart. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that possibly. And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, give, and he said, and he fast, and he said, pray, in secret. And what were the hypocrites doing? Doing this show. But their hearts were wrong. But no inward reality. This is true worship when we actually meet with God in the heart. So study your heart. Watch your heart. Keep your heart. So all I am presenting to you today is step aside a little more often maybe. And to talk with God and examine your heart. Don't allow all these trifles to distract us. And we have more distractions than we have ever had before.
Now, it's interesting, years ago, people worked hard. I mean, you had to, you had to really work hard to make a living. Now, we don't have that, but we have all kinds of distractions. Now, some of us, you might not disagree with that. We still have to work hard to make a living. I don't know, but not, not like they did. I don't think so. But we had a lot of distractions. I would that we would keep a more true and faithful account of our thoughts and our affections. That we would consider, seriously examine our own heart. Maybe every evening before the Lord. Oh heart, where have you been today? Affections. They are a part of our heart, are they not? And they are powerful, are they not? Affections are powerful. When a political leader wishes to persuade people, what does he do? Does he come out with the facts? Or does he come out with charisma? What's he doing? He is grabbing the affections of people. Now, I, I, I imagine there's a brother in our congregation could tell, tell more about this, but in advertising, what do you do? Do you come out with the bare, uh, this product will give you six-tenths of a more advantage than this other product, and you ought to buy it? Or do you promote some kind of image in some kind of... Uh, um, Somewhere I've written down here. But what you do is you try to affect the emotions and the affections. A slogan is what I had. An image and a slogan. Something that has a, a chick meaning. That, oh, wow, yes. <laughs> that, uh, that, that grabs you. Like the... Um, like the eggs that I saw, and they were storing eggs at work some years ago. They had a, an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of eggs, so they were putting them in cold, not cold store, yeah, refrigerating extra eggs so they can, till the markets hollowed out a little bit. And there was this brand of eggs called Nearby Farms. That's a good name. They like, like local food and, and, uh, nearby family. It sounds sort of, and I looked and the eggs came, I still can't believe it, but I am certain it said they came from Puerto Rico. <laughs> now, I, I'm, I'm thinking years ago, did I really see that? But that's what I saw that day. So whatever it is. But the point is, nearby farms in Puerto Rico is not <laughs> the same. So anyhow, that's what uh, advertising does. Now, it's been said that truth needs to go a thousand miles to get to the affections. But once your affections have something, it's only a small step to the will. The will acts out the affection. The affections are the heart. So they're a major part of the heart. And I just want to give you an example. It's bedtime. You're visiting somebody, and it's bedtime, and it's time for the children to go home and go to bed. You're visiting somebody, okay? Oh, you can be at home, too, for that matter. But let's take a very visiting somebody, and it's time to go to bed. Now, that's the truth. The truth is, it's time to go home. Does a child say, oh, yes, it's time to go home. Let's go home. No, they're playing with their friends. Where are their affections? 
Their affections are with their friends. So there you have the truth, and then you have their affections, and which one wins? Time to come home. And so they come with dragging feet, or they delay it as long as they can, and all that. It's because the affections are there. What has your affections has your heart. That's where you're going to go. And in Colossians chapter 3, Paul, speaking for God, clearly says, set your affections on things above where Christ sits on the right hand of the Father. Now, there you have the same thing. Keep your heart. Guard your heart. And then you have set your affection. You actually have the same um, command to do something. Set your affections. Guard your heart. And set and guard would be the similar, and affections and heart are similar. There are synonyms. Now, I actually think the command is ideal. Knowing the power of our affections, our hearts, we will not be able to walk well with God if our affections are elsewhere. Now, you can go to the bank with that. If your affections are not with God, you cannot walk well with God. And as you examine your heart, you need to know where your affections are. Now, we could talk about families or churches who try to drag their people along to where they don't want to go. And we can conclusively say, unless the affections change, it is a losing battle. But since the morning, this, the message that focuses on our hearts, we're going to talk about personal, looking at our own heart. And so, when you commune with your heart, ask your heart, where have your affections been today? Where did my thoughts go? Go. What is the overriding purpose of my life? What got me out of bed this morning? Now, I know a crying baby or the, a crying alarm clock did, but you know what I mean. What is my purpose of life? Where are my affections? Why am I living? But beyond that, are my affections today, heart, are my affections going towards God or are they pulling away from God? Because directional is also important. Not just right where you're at, but which direction are we going? Are those affections and the loves and the dreams of my life, are they counter to a holy sanctified life in Jesus' kingdom? Do my purchases, my activities even my food, are they an expression? They are an expression or soon will be an expression of my affections. Now, it's the realizing, uh, as we go through the daytime and realizing that it's God's presence is always with us. And if we walk in the presence of God with the conscious presence, uh, conscious realization of the presence of God, that keeping the Lord always before us, that is the one of the best ways to keep our hearts upright as we walk through the day. That's how God's people have 
always kept their hearts right and preserved them from sin. Walk before me and be thou perfect, God said to Abraham. And so we could say that for us. God says to us, walk thou before me and be perfect. But heart work is hard work. To go through the motions of religious activity doesn't cost very much. And it's actually quite easy to do. But to guard our hearts, that is to rein our loose and vain thoughts, and to walk before the Lord in purity, that is hard. Because it goes against the grain. To repress the outward actions of sin and to behave in a calm manner is not that hard. Even carnal people, by the force of self-discipline for their own selfish purposes, can do a lot of that. But to kill that root of corruption within and to set up and heed a holy government within over our thoughts and to have our heart orderly and straight, that is not easy. To be truly humble and lowly and tender toward God is difficult. And it's a constant work. And in fact, it's such a work that it's not done until our life is done. Now, to balance that, it is not a drudgery. It is not a chore. It is not that kind of hardness. That's not what I'm talking about. There is joy and there is peace and there is comfort in this kind of life. But I want to emphasize that the life of a hypocrite, it is easier to put on a show than it is to have a real sound heart. Paul himself said, he said, I buffet my body lest after I preach to others, I myself would be a castaway. In other words, he watched and guarded his heart. And he called it buffeted. He beat it. <laughs> that sounds hard. In a sense, the keeping of the heart is like the holding up of the Moses' hand that were on the mountain while they were fighting the Amal- Amalekites below. When the heart, the hand was up, they were winning. When the hands came down, they were losing. So it is with our hearts. When our hearts are guarded and kept and well maintained, we will win. We will have victory. We will have power. But when we do not keep our hearts, we will not have victory and power. Even if we continue for a time on the outside. But we are rotting within. Keeping the heart is the most important job of a Christian's life. Without it, we are just formalists in religion. Now I'd like to just spend a little bit of time here at the end, a number of points. What are the, some of the present benefits that we have that, of this watched over heart? 
And they're just fairly short points, but I think it'll be a benefit to encourage ourselves besides the fact that we don't want to be rotten in the inside or bankrupt or hypocrites. There's the benefits. He who has learned how to keep his heart is ready for prosperity and success. Prosperity and excess has ruined multitudes of people. And we can talk about whether that prosperity and success is financial or whether it is ministry success or whether it is relational success or whether it is uh, status success. Success has a way of exposing rottenness inside of people. Jesus warned of the dangers of riches. And people say that power corrupts. Both of those are true. Success is the big storm that comes and tests the soundness of the tree. Success tempts us to pride. It tempts us to self-sufficiency. It tempts us with opportunities of vanity or abuses that we've not had before. Someone who has long watched his heart who has kept his heart, has walked in the presence of God, that person is best equipped for this curse of prosperity in his life. Number two, he who has learned how to keep his heart is best prepared for persecution. We don't face much of real persecution, but we don't face any any of real one, but Paul did. You know, he could be stoned, and then he could be lifted up as a god. He could be put down to the bottom to be killed, and then he could lift it up as a deity. And in both of those, he, it, he had a heart that was kept that could handle both of those extremes of, if you want to call being deified as a god, persecution. I guess that's not persecution, but it's an experience that he had. He could... He could be abused and he could take it. He could be stoned and he could take it. There was no revenge. I could say, we could even say, he even didn't have any emotional problems. Because he had that kind kept his heart. But we know when persecution comes, it thins out the church. Carnal Christians and hypocrites will compromise or forsake their profession and persecution will drive the roots deeper of those who had genuinely been walking with God. Number three, he who has learned how to keep his heart is best prepared for ministry. And this is any kind of ministry, any kind of the Lord's work. And I'm going to read a few verses in Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. Nevertheless, the foundation of the Lord of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, and some of honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. What I want to emphasize, if a man purge himself of these, 
then he is a vessel of honor, then he is ready for every good work. For the heart must first be purged, it must be kept, then it is ready for work. You know, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he was mortified at his own heart. And then that coal came off the altar, and that signified of a purifying of his heart. And after that purification, then he said, here am I, send me. And that is the order. Jesus very carefully kept his heart, and he was always ready to meet whatever the situation required. And he prayed at night after he had labored all day. We are never so good in the ministry of others when we are attentive to the condition of our own soul. And number four, keeping your heart is the best guard against falling into a scandal before an unbelieving world. When God's people, people who profess the Lord, whether they're true believers or not, when they fail, there's a blot on the name of Christianity and God. Some would say, well, it exalts the mercy and forgiveness of God when someone like that is restored, and truly it does. But King David, who didn't keep his heart for a while, was told by God that he gave the enemies of God an opportunity to blaspheme because he did not keep his heart during that time. And so we stand in similar danger. So, what I want to propose this morning is our main business is keeping our heart. No, I'm sorry, that's not, no, not quite right. Since our main business is keeping our heart, we need to keep other businesses in check or our business in check. Mary and Martha are examples of that, where Martha was busy and Mary took time for her heart. And here's a quote I found. Take heed, Christian, lest your shop steal away your heart away from your closet. If your ship is overloaded, you must pass some of that overboard lest you sink the whole ship in a storm. So don't let your business keep you away from your real business of keeping your heart. If our heart finds nothing of substance from God, this is talking about affections again, it will find uh, God is our creator. If it doesn't find it with our creator, our hearts will find it among the creatures. If we don't find our affections or substance with our God, the creator, we will find it with the creation. What that which we delight in, we will never grow weary of. There is no need to push someone into something that they delight in. And you know that is true. Just a few more thoughts here. As you examine your heart, and you, you, we need to discern when it is declining 
or walking away from God, when there's little areas in our life that are going wayward in our heart because that little oak, that mighty oak, used to be just a tiny seed. Now, maybe we like oak trees. That's fine. Well, let's think of a crocodile. He came out of a little egg. I don't know how small they are. Maybe some of you who live in the south might know. But that little fledgling crocodile, harmless thing, gets this huge monster that is a that can take you. But the point here is discern your heart. When things are small, take care of them. Don't allow whatever what a little sin that are neglected will eventually become our masters. Now, your care, your diligence in discerning and keeping your heart is one of the best evidences that you have of your sincerity and your genuineness. If you are keeping your heart, you're talking about those four kinds of heart that Jesus talked about, a good and honest heart, and you are that heart. A hypocrite does not care about his heart. If you care about your heart, that is actually a confirmation of God. God's spirit is working in me. It's, a, it's, it's the source of our assurance that you are keeping your heart. <clears throat> so in closing, in this focus on our heart, I want to reiterate, heart, where have you been today? Where have you been? Not your actions. Not just your actions. Yes, your actions. If you have said sharp words to someone, do make it right. But if you have thought those words and haven't said it, that's your heart. Take it to the Lord. Deal with that heart. And take appropriate action like God. Like Abraham, who walked with God before God with a perfect heart. So we want to talk about a guarded heart a kept heart, a maintained heart, a heart that is full of the Spirit of God. So may God bless you.